Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of React Roundup. I am your host today, Paige Niedringhouse, and we are joined by our panelists, TJ Van Toll. Hey, everyone. And our special guest, Andre G. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Welcome, Andre. So could you tell us a little bit about why you're famous and what we're going to talk about today? That's a very good question because I'm not famous at all. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was kind of surprised when you reached out because I didn't know that anyone knew about my existence. <laughs> but nevertheless, nevertheless, I'm glad to be here. And well, I've done some talks, public talks here and there. When I started working with Hazelcast, I have a small technical blog, which I try to keep alive on a regular basis. So it's like, you know, when I have a couple of weeks of time, I can write several posts at once and then it's going to be silence for the next half a year. And just the, I think we missed, I missed the general introduction. I like thinking of myself as a full stack TypeScript and JavaScript developer. So I like digging deep into things. And when I find something interesting, something that surprises me, I try to unravel that thingy and write a short blog post about it, or maybe not so short. <laughs> so that's that's pretty much it. Well, I know you wanted to talk a little bit today about data visualization and mm -hmm. scale. So what is your background there? How did you get into data viz? What sort of data are you looking at generating all that sort of stuff? Okay, so data visualization and how I got into that mess. Okay, so if you don't know, Hazelcast is a, a distributed in-memory data grid. And that's just a fancy word for cache, enterprise cache. And like any self-respecting distributed system, we have a management center where you can go and see all kinds of data, what happens with your cluster. You can manage your cluster, administrate it. Okay. And I'm working on that management center, making it happen. And currently it's kind of ugly when the process of redesign. So I'm truly ashamed <laughs> of its current state, at least visually. But under the hood, we do a couple of cool things to allow our, our users see relevant data, see some data that actually helps them. And when I joined, we, we've just started the process of redesigning the management center, revamping its, revamping our backend, revamping the, uh, how we handle data on the front end. And in the end, that's what we are doing right now, redesigning and reskinning the whole thing. And once I started with the restructuring our data and dealing with the dealing with how we display this data, I realized that we need, we need new graphs. And before that, we had several static graphs with, that displayed some static predefined information, like we have several data structures, maps, replicated maps, and et cetera, and et cetera, some just put in any other fancy name here. <laughs> so maps, and those maps, have some metrics associated with them. And before 
the redesign before this revamping, we displayed only certain metrics for, say, one map on a screen. And I thought that it would be pretty cool to allow our users to switch freely between all of the maps that we have, to switch freely between different machines in the cluster, and maybe, maybe somehow group this data and allow our users to see some average information about the cluster. So that's that's basically the story of how I got into dealing with data visualization. You say dealing with it at scale. Do you have any examples? Like how big of data are we talking about? Do you have any like number, like impressive numbers, like <laughs> that you could sh- not, throw out? Yeah, I'm not sure if it's impressive, but <laughs> I think our largest cluster, at least that we know of, is of 150 machines. And on every machine, we collect at least 700 something metrics. So that would be what? Around 70, around 7,000 7, metrics from all of the machines. I think that's, that's, that's large scale enough. Yeah, that's quite a bit of data. I would agree. <laughs> <laughs> so, Andre, I I have not worked with anything near the scale that you have, nor do I particularly want to, because that sounds like a very daunting task. But how do you how do you decide? But from all that data that you're getting, like how how do you design it so that users can actually make sense of all the information that you have that you could possibly be showing them? That question I asked myself when I started (laughs) working on that data, when I started working on that visualization. So the first idea that comes to mind when you think about what to display is to allow users pick manually, right? You can just show them some kind of a dropdown and they pick certain metrics. They pick certain machines of the cluster and you just display whatever they chose. And that works fine with, for certain edge cases, when your users are truly experienced, they read documentation 100 times, they know what they are doing, and they already know what machines in the cluster could be faulty. But the real question here is that what should we do with the rest of the users? And that would be like, 98% of our user base. And even I myself, I don't think I know our core product in memory data grid that well to be considered an experienced user. It's just we have so many metrics, so many knobs and toggles that you can switch and that could affect the result. So, So I started thinking about it. What our users really want to see What's the real purpose of monitoring? And to answer that question, I thought that first we have to identify the groups of our users. And at this point, I see that we have two major groups out there. It's cluster admins or cluster support and that monitor some real live production clusters. And we have 
developers who just play with IMDG, who just have some development developer instance of IMDG running somewhere, and they want to access the data fast and easily just to debug something quickly and forget about it. And if we dig further, then we could also split these groups kind of differently. Experienced users, they're like maybe 2 or 5% of our user base. And they, they are the ones that probably won't need our management center at all. They could use raw APIs. And now with the release of um, Hazelcast 4.0, we support Prometheus Exporter and you could hook it up to Grafana. So probably these users, they won't need our management center and this widget at all. So we really care about 95% of our casual users. And for those users, we have to somehow help. We have to help them to identify the machines that are falsy or that are that could be that are behaving abnormally and well to draw some the bottom line is that when we do some monitoring we want to display some kind of abnormality and that lead, leads us to another question how exactly we should display this abnormality right how do we find it yeah, I'm curious how like that process is like, and I'm also wondering if you could get into just like, I, I'm always curious about like graphing and charting libraries and the front end as well. Mm -hmm. So I'm also curious, like when you have that data set, if you've, if you've experimented with those, and if you have any recommendations for people looking into that as well, in terms of how to display these things. I suggest we first speak about what to display and then get to some specific libraries in yep. the end. What do you say? Yep, sounds good. Okay, so we've got to the point where we decided that we need to somehow filter the data, filter the graphs to identify some abnormal ones and to display only those abnormal ones. So how do we even analyze the graphs? And before we start with that, we should get on the same page on what the graph is. So from my point of view and from what we, well, the current implementation, the current implementation that we have, a graph is a time series. So it's a list of objects and every object has some value associated with it and some timestamp associated with it. So once we establish this, we can go on to how to analyze this time series. So as you remember, we have plenty of machines feeding us some data, feeding us these lists of objects. And we could analyze this time series individually or as a group. And with individual analysis, it's pretty, it's pretty simple. I mean, we have values inside of this time series, and these values are scalars. And if it is, if it's not, I wouldn't say that it's trivial, but it's simple enough to compare scalars and find some abnormal scalars out of the list of scalars, some scalars that deviate the most 
it gets interesting with the group analysis, where we have to somehow calculate a single scalar for every member of the cluster and, the, and only then compare the scalars to find the abnormal members of the cluster. And that's where the real challenge starts. So when you say detecting these, is this like some sort of, I don't know, like almost like algorithm you're running, like at a code level, what is actually happening to try to find these things? Because presumably you, like you're not actually looking over the raw data because that would be complete madness. So is this something like you're analyzing with just some bit of code going over the data or like, what does this actually look like from like a development perspective? Yeah, we, in fact, it's a single case, at least in my memory, where I found some sort of justification to calculate the definite integral on the front end. So for every graph, and I think I'm revealing the something from, from the later, something that I want to talk about later, but let's, let's get to it right now. We are calculating a def definite integral for every, uh, for every data series to get that scalar value. And I don't think I know what the integral means. <laughs> Could you okay. spell that out? <laughs> yeah, me? yeah, sure, sure. So, well, say you have a graph and that graph, well, usually a graph is some sort of a function, right? Yep. And now imagine that you have some discrete data points. So you don't have a real function. You have just points here and there, and you connect these points with the lines. Okay. All right? So that's what we usually see when we see some metric data, because you cannot, you cannot collect metrics like at every microsecond to you cannot get the original function for every metric. You can only get a set of data points and you have to somehow figure out how to connect them and how to interpolate them and how to restore the original function that you want to see. Yep. And yeah, I'm starting from far. Sorry about that. <laughs> so, and now we want, once we establish that we have this list of data points, and now we want to calculate a single value over these points. What are the ways to do that? And I think the more straightforward way to calculate some meaningful scalar out of the list of scalars, basically, is an average, is arithmetical average, right? You just sum them all together and divide it by the number of elements. And the problem here is that your metric points, your data points could deviate significantly for a variety of reasons. For example, it's CPU that we are measuring. And for a long period of time, you had more or less stable CPU around 30%. And then all of a sudden it jumps to 90 and goes back. So that 90 is going to significantly affect the average that we're going to calculate, right? Yep. So that's where we start thinking about medians. So what a median is? Well, imagine the same. Well, you know, in case with medians, 
I think I have a better example. So, for example, your friend John has one million dollars, and he and I friend. Paige have <laughs> yeah, it's a very good friend, <laughs> and he and I and Paige have zero. So, on average, each one of us has two hundred and fifty thousand, and on median, uh, we all have zero. So, a median is like when you have a list of values, sort them in ascending order, and then select the middle value in the middle of this list. So, median basically helps you to eliminate all those outliers. So, they do not affect the resulting calculation of your average. And now we're getting to the integral and why we even decided to do the integral and what it is. So the problem with arithmetic average and median is that it doesn't, it doesn't involve the time factor. So when you look at the graph and you have some data points on, the, on that graph, these data points have some values on the y-axis and some values on the x-axis. And when you calculate arithmetic average or median, those calculations doesn't include the values on the x-axis at all. And that means that potentially you could have two different graphs, completely different, and they would have the same average averages or the same medians. And here's, and that's where definite integral comes into play. So what is an integral? Basically, basically it's a square, it's an area under the graph. So the area under the graph, it's going to change in that case where you have all the same values on the y-axis and different values on the x-axis. So if you calculate the area under the graph, it is going to incorporate the time factor. And that's why we decided to... So basically what we do is we calculate the area under each trapezoid that is formed with two dots on the screen. And then we sum the areas of every trapezoid that is formed with every pair of dots in your graph. Gotcha. Do you have, I'm, I'm curious, getting into this, do you have any background in like math or statistics? Because it sounds like this very quickly can go beyond the realm of like what your average JavaScript developer would be exposed to, right? Like this isn't like in web development 101 for sure. So I'm curious if you have some background there that would help with this. Or data science. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Nope. Only <laughs> I've got my bachelor's. <laughs> That's it. And yeah, some background with statistics that would definitely help to, I don't think it, it's going to help too much at this point where we have some basic filters for our widget, but later on, I think we could add some more sophisticated filtering and basically predict which members of the cluster would be faulty or try to find different ways on how to identify abnormality. 
Yeah, and I just hope that all that verbal explanation of what an integral or a median or a mean was understandable at least because I'm a visual person. I always like seeing things. <laughs> so it's kind of hard for me to, you know, I, I'm just trying to show on in the air drawing some graphs with my hands and <laughs> all of our listeners are not going to be able to see all of that they'll just hear my breaking voice crying for help <laughs> <laughs> i think you did a great job it's been definitely been a while since i've had to use mean median average so you did a, a very good job recapping what those are for anybody who might be listening and not able to look up immediately and refresh themselves but one thing that you mentioned a while back was that your team is in the process of reskinning this whole graph and all the things the users can see. So what are you using? Are you using like D3 or I don't even know what other graphing packages or uh, like NPM things mm-hmm. are out there for you? But are you are you using any of those or are you kind of rebuilding it, you know, completely okay. custom? So you you want to get on the topic of selecting some specific libraries, right? Sure. Okay. okay. So we did some research, played with it, and decided to go with Chart.js. So the idea here is that we potentially could have quite a lot of graphs, quite a lot of curves, and a lot of data points on every curve. And I think a fair share of data visualization libraries use SVGs or something like that. And that could get ugly with lots of data in terms of performance. And that's why we decided to go with Chart.js because it uses Canvas. However, I heard that Canvas does not play really nice sometimes with Safari, but we got what we got and Maybe, maybe somebody will create a WebGL-based chart library at some point and we'll migrate to that. Is the issue with SVG just because you have so much, like, is it like literally there are so many lines that it like SVG becomes a problem that it just can't handle it? Because um, it's funny because I've heard this, I remember hearing conversations about SVG versus Canvas before, but my brain didn't retain any of it. So like in my mind, they're, they just seem like two separate implementations that each get you a chart. So I'm curious, like, do you know what it is about SVG specifically that wasn't working? Is it just the raw data issues with that? The thing is that we have really many data points. So at least from my understanding, SVGs start performing poorly when you have lots of the dots and rectangles in it. So we cannot affect how often our metrics are gathered. I mean, we have some defaults and that default I think is like every second or something like that, but our users could configure that. So potentially we could have quite quite a lot of data points. And honestly, I think we could have made it work with SVGs. We could just, we could have just stripped some of the data points and leaving only the major ones that affect the final visualization. But it would complicate stuff on the front end just a bit. 
And when we started with this widget, we didn't even know how many graphs we would wind up with. And we wanted to pick something that would handle pretty much any, any kind of, any amount of data, you know? But yeah, honestly, I think that probably for 95% of cases, the difference between Canvas and SVG would be negligible. Mm-hmm. But for those 5% of cases, Chart.js was just more performant. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Maybe maybe at some later point we would consider WebGL or something like this, but at least at least for now, performance, the performance of how we render the graphs is not a problem. Most probably at some point we'll see a different performance struggle with how we calculate that average. I mean, if you have too many data points on so we fetch our data in chunks. And when every new chunk arrives, we have to recalculate the average, basically. So probably our first bottleneck is going to be not with the rendering of the graph, but with calculating the average. Do you need to get into, like, just because of the amount of, like, math involved, do you need to get into, like, web workers at all? Or is that sort of stuff done on the server? Or have you ran into any issues with that? Regarding the web worker, I thought about it. We thought about it, and for now, it's just the calculation is being done on the main thread. And for the first iteration, we decided to cut some corners, and we are allowing our users to see only, I think it's 30 minutes of data, or maybe even 15 minutes of data. So we basically capped the we basically put a limit there and we don't have to deal with that much of a data to run our calculations on. So when a new batch arrives and we have more than the time window, the maximum time window that we want to display, we discard the old batch. But in future, yeah, probably we'll consider using web workers to do that computation for us. And as to the server, it's funny that you mentioned it because at first iteration, we did some extra calculation uh, on the front end, but later on we leveraged the power of our server to do some heavy lifting for us, but still we do the calculation of that definite integral on the front end. Yeah, that's what I was wondering too, when you said that, you know, right now, the bottleneck isn't necessarily the rendering in the browser. It's actually as the amount of data that you could consume or you would have to crunch through to, to render those graphs. So you said that you're limiting the users currently to 15 or 30 minutes. And have you, that's not, that's not necessarily cutting corners to me. That sounds like minimum viable product, which is how my team puts it <laughs> as we're building stuff, which is not fully like the the very product that the users want or need. But how, I mean, what are your plans to kind of try and handle that in the future? It sounds like servers, server crunching, if possible, could be good. But some of it, I mean, for us at least, we just can't do all of it on the server side because the browser is where all the data from all of our different points comes together and is finally present mm-hmm. so that we can do those calculations. 
for the future when we decide to extend that time window potentially infinitely or I don't know what else we're going to come up with. So for that future cases, I don't think we'll ever transfer these calculations completely to the back end. It just we already we have already invested quite a lot of effort into building this on the front end and our back end in Java. So it just it's just a matter of using our resources efficiently. Uh, our management center team is actually a small team. We have, I think, now only three people on the front end three to four people. So it's people come and go. <laughs> you could say that <laughs> the team size is dynamic and not all not all efforts of the team is devoted to the widget. So most probably it's going to stay on the front end at least for the reason of reusing what we already got. But if we ever decide to do the large time window I think we'll have to start skipping some data points. So probably we'll have to analyze if we need to account for the next data point when we decide to whether to include it in, in our calculations or not. And another thing that I'm thinking is incremental calculations. So as I mentioned before, we receive our data in batches, and these batches are currently, I think it's one-minute batches. So, well, so basically, we have a one-minute lag when we display the data on the front end. The data is already on the server, and we wait for one minute to display it. So, what you can do here is that once you calculated the result for your chunk, you could memoize it, and when you have to recalculate the result for the same chunk, you could pull it out of your cache, and you could go in further when you have the result for several chunks. You could just build on top of that and do it, and use the result of the previous calculation to increase the size, to increase the speed at which you calculate the final integral. As you remember, I mentioned that basic the integral is basically the area under the curve, and it's a sum of areas under every trapezoid that is formed by the two points. So, well, say you have one new point arrived, that's only one new trapezoid, only one new area. So you can just calculate that very area and add it to your previous sum of all areas. And there you go. Yeah, makes sense. I I know. Another topic you had in the notes here that I definitely want to discuss is related to accessibility. <laughs> and this one, yeah, I, you laughed a little bit. And it's funny because I, I've i been doing web development for a long time, and I couldn't give you a good answer to how in the world accessibility with charts would even work. Like That just seems like inherently a ridiculously hard challenge. I'm curious what you do with accessibility with these charts. Is it just like in my head, it's almost like you just provide like a, a text string to like almost explain what's going on. Because I can't think of like, are there any standards for this? Like, I'm wondering how all of this works. Accessibility. It's probably my hardest struggle with on the front end, with the front end development. And I'm ashamed to admit it, 
but at this point we're doing nothing, nothing at all. But we have redesigned in progress, and one of major focuses of our redesign is on accessibility. So we're currently building a core UI library with accessibility in mind that we're going to use amongst all of our product offerings. And that means management center, our cloud application. And once we start integrating that library, and once we get to that point, then probably we'll start thinking about accessibility for our charts. And I did some research, and at this point, it seems like for our line charts, and they are what we primarily have in our application, you could just have a hidden table in your DOM and duplicate the content in that table. So that's what I'm thinking of. However, I don't think it makes too much sense to put all the raw data into that table because it will be just overwhelming and not not readable at all. I mean, yeah. you have 100 data points. <laughs> Who would be able to digest all the 100 in their right mind, right? Yeah. So I'm thinking that we'll have to... Well, we're already calculating the average result for every graph with that definite integral. So most probably we'll just put the average into that table for every graph. And that this way, our users at least would have at least some resemblance of what's going on in the, in the cluster. Yeah, because like you said, you mentioned earlier when trying to, for mean and medium, like being hard to, to do not visually. And I think, I mean, one of the reasons we use graphs and charts is because they can convey something that's really hard to say through words. Mm -hmm. Like you can see a graph and chart and go like, oh, okay, I can see my CPU spiked here or something like that. And trying to explain that to someone that can't see it, especially when you get into, like you said, like mm -hmm. big data sets and more complex things, like that's just seems to me like an enormous challenge. But I, I think what you said though makes a lot of sense to me. It's like the best effort of what you can do with what you have available. Mm -hmm. Andre. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the plan. <laughs> <laughs> so Andre, is there anything that we haven't covered yet that you think is is worth talking about? You know, I think we could cover the actual filters that we use for our application if you're interested in that. Oh, definitely. So yeah, so at this point, we decided that we want to satisfy both uh, major groups of our users, experienced users and casual ones. So for our experienced users, we are offering that manual selection where you can just pick random members of your cluster and some random metrics that you want to see. It's useful when you have to do some retrospective for example, to analyze some data from the past and to see why your cluster failed or something like that. We also offering peak top three and peak bottom three filters. And they are also meant for our, let's call them power users. So the idea here is to take each graph, find the maximum data point in every graph and basically sort all these graphs based on this maximum maximum data point with the maximum value. 
and display only the graphs that have the top three graphs from that selection. So this could help our power users to work with some metrics that do not have high volatility, that they, the metrics that do not have high deviation. And we're also offering average top three and average bottom three filters. And these are the ones that use the median that we talked about. So these filters, they follow the same algorithm, but instead of finding the absolutely absolute maximum value, we calculate a median for for every graph and then our users. So basically it it neglects the it removes the volatility from the equation and our users can see the data, can see the graphs that are abnormal based on the on their mean, not on their peak value. And so a single data point that's out of normal is not going to affect the resulting visualization. And for our casual users, we are offering outliers filter. And internally, we call it just auto. So what it does is that for every graph, we're calculating an average value based on that definite integral. Then we calculate a median value out of all averages. So we have like some reference value. And then we try to find deviation from that ever from that median value among all graphs. And we display only the graphs that have that deviate from that average by 30 or more percent. So this way our users see that calculated median. So they know what the reference value is, and they also see any outliers that we potentially have in our system. Yeah, because I imagine from a monitoring perspective, thinking in terms of a casual user, chances are you only want to be in the monitoring software to like find out if something went wrong. <laughs> At least that's uh-huh. what I would, I would think. So exactly. like that's like, unless you're a power user, you're just in to see like what went wrong, when did it go wrong? What do I do about it sort of thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you don't know the reference value yourself, right? So you do not, you don't know well, with all the previous graphs, you didn't have the any kind of reference graph. You just saw the values and you didn't know if these values are okay or they are not okay. You just yeah, saw I don't some know what values. the baseline is. It's just some yeah. <laughs> servers, <Here>. who knows? <laughs> and here you have that baseline. So that's what makes it cool. And I think I described the older ver- version of that algorithm because right now we, I mentioned that we, we leverage some of the backend calculations. So now backend does the calculation of that median reference baseline. But we still do the calculation of the definite integral on the front end. Very cool. So I think that this outliers filter is the purpose of writing that blog post in the first place. And it's the very purpose of me wanting to talk about data visualization with you guys and it's the very the very reason why i decided to do a talk on this topic and that's an incredibly useful and you know very everybody who works in tech will experience that kind of thing so 
being able to to drill down quickly and find out, you know, what was what went wrong, like TJ said, what spiked when it shouldn't have is super useful and super helpful. That's that's how hope. <laughs> um, I have to admit that we didn't have too many users of Hazelcast port at all. And so we didn't have a chance to collect too much feedback and too much data on how useful these new filters are. Mm-hmm. But we keep our fingers crossed. <laughs> Very cool. So, Andre, if people want to get in touch with you, find out more, see your talks, where can they reach you? Twitter, LinkedIn, email, I don't know. A real paper letter <laughs> mailed to my address. <laughs> Whatever works for you guys. <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. All right. I think we're going to move into the picks now. So, TJ, would you like to do our first pick for this week? Sure. I'm going to pick a book called City of Stairs. So, it's a fantasy novel, and it's actually the first book in a trilogy. And I'm about halfway through it. And so far, it's been super compelling. So I'm imagining I'm going to be reading the the whole trilogy. But the basic premise is this fantasy world has a series of gods, but the gods are like sort of like Roman Greek gods, but they are real and they sort of interact with the world. And it creates an interesting dynamic. So it's been an interesting read so far. I'll probably report back if the rest of the trilogy is good, but that's my pick for this week. Nice. My pick for this week is going to be a Netflix series, which the world has been talking about for the past few weeks. It's called The Queen's Gambit. And it's a a short, I think it's just one season is all they made. It's based on a novel about this woman who ended up being a chess prodigy, but it is it's so addictive. As soon as you start watching it, you, I mean, my husband and I went through it in like two days. It was, it was just a weekend and we were done with it. And it was fantastic the whole way. It just really grips you in a way that I didn't expect chess could ever get me so interested in. And I bet that there's going to be so many people buying chess sets and playing chess over the holidays that wouldn't have otherwise. So I would highly recommend The Queen's Gambit if you have Netflix and if not, checked it out. It's a really, really good series. Andre, do you have anything that you'd like to pick? I don't really know. I think I would like to pick one of the older books, but it's still highly relevant. And that will be Designing Data Intensive Applications. It's an incredible book. And if you're interested in how modern applications that operate at scale are built that's that's definitely it's definitely a must read yeah there's so many books that i think are exactly like you're talking about where they were written quite a while ago but everything that they cover still applies to modern software engineering for sure is it the book with the warthog on the cover because i'm (laughs) trying to get the correct one to make sure we get it in the show notes for people (laughs) <laughs> oh, you put in a you put in a better link. Oh, yeah, it is nice. with a. I think that's a warthog. <laughs> I can't say I know for sure. Love O'Reilly for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, very cool, Andre. Thanks so much for joining us, and we will see you guys all again on the next episode of React Roundup. Yeah, thanks. This was fun. Thank you for having me, guys, and have a good day. Hopefully, hopefully, it was useful and at least in some way for all of you guys. Absolutely. See you around. <laughs>